welcome to the season 2 of the in your shoes podcast the podcast aims to get into the shoes of a person like you and me and learn from their career stories and experiences through this conversation we will uncover insights and pearls of wisdom which will hopefully inspire you and expand your thinking we're doing something different this season apart from a full length show we will also expand on topics of interest that emerge during the conversation these will be distributed as special episodes which are short targeted and provide you with the context when you are short on time let us get right into it on the show today i have suman i have known suman since my high school days today he is a research scientist at massachusetts institute of technology I'm so excited to have a really old friend uh, on this show today. Welcome to the podcast, Suman. Hey, Vivek. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So, Suman, for the listeners of this podcast, can you just give us a flavor about where are you coming from? What do you do for a living? What's your journey? Oh, that's a that's a very deep question. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, first of all, I'm very glad that we connected, and you know, it's good to see you doing well after so long. And um, so, my journey, you know, as uh, just for the viewers, you know, we we met each other at uh, I guess high school, middle school. Yeah. So I was born and brought up in Calcutta, and then uh, did my did my schooling, and I wanted to go to be in engineering, science engineering, something like that. So. uh i think i got into iit kharagpur after that um doing mechanical engineering uh and so from there i got very interested in you know fluid mechanics research caught my attention especially and i kind of made up my mind that i should go in the direction of research um so when it was time for finding a job uh we kind of you know i applied to different places i i did i did apply to a few jobs but also outside abroad for phd programs mm-hmm. um and um and there i kind of got a chance to do some work in biomicrofluidics at mit with a young professor so i i had no idea of biology at the time so i was like oh this sounds like fun and it will be adventurous so I went to mit to do my phd it was initially tough but very exciting uh, so i did my initially my masters then finished my phd and after that i decided to do a postdoc uh, uh in this particular lab i am in which is which is langer lab and um and yeah i've been here since then so you know moved after postdoc to being a research scientist which is more of a semi independent position brilliant tell us a little bit about the lab where you are right now Right yeah this is this is very interesting so uh so i work with uh, two pretty big names in the field uh bob langer and daniel anderson and the idea that um you know bob has been has been kind of a pioneer of the field of bioengineering so back in 1980s and 90s i think he was the first people to kind of identify that you know you could um kind of change the molecular structure of of polymers to suit for drugs and pharmaceuticals for example uh, he builds the first low release drug formulation that is used everywhere today so uh, so he's really kind of you know created the whole field of drug delivery tissue engineering and and many field that we kind of know now as bioengineering uh, so it's a very famous but also a very big lab uh, we have about 110 people it works almost like a little clockwork like it's almost like a factory you know you you have a 
you have a big guy, it's like there are small teams and, you know, bring in grants and stuff. I think the budget is about $10 million. Uh, so, so it's a huge, it's a huge operation. And, uh, and the, and the fun thing in here is that you have all sort of flavor of people. Like, you know, there are physicists, there are engineers, chemists, biologists. So it's, it's really, uh, kind of in a unique place on uh, in research because you you can get all the resources you want and all the teams you want right under one roof and so it's pretty exciting to take on tough challenges which needs multidisciplinary approach and and you solve them together fantastic uh you mentioned about the focus of the lab especially the work of bob langer and daniel anderson around drug delivery how did that happen for yourself? Like, uh, were you destined to go into this space or, you know, there are some, in, some experiences that you had that really shaped your thinking about getting into this field? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I don't, you know, um, I think my trajectory has been kind of shifting constantly and, you know, it's kind of shifted by, um, my experience at present or, or whenever. So, you know, just for example, when I was in grad school, before grad school, I didn't know what biology was. So we got in there in grad school and one of the problems we were dealing with was how do we create small microfluidic devices, small chips that could sort blood cells. So that imagine somebody in a battlefield or, you know, in a, in a third world setting where you need to do this test, you don't have very expensive equipments. How do you distribute healthcare to patients rather than patients coming to healthcare? Mm. And that's a very tough problem. You, you just can't deal with only instrumentation. You have to think about the biology, the chemistry of the chip. Uh, you have to think about data storage, everything else, right, in one roof. And so that caught my attention. I got interested in um, clinical scientists, like, you know, how, how uh, and it's a very, it's a, you know, it's, it's a very different problem than just, you know, when we, when we talk about basic science like biology and chemistry. So in terms of medicine, there are some concepts which are different, like what's a threshold of a test, uh, the concept of false positives and false negatives and things like that, um, which appear simple on the face, but when you need to dig, dig deeper into that. And so then, um, you know, I read more about this. One of the extremely good thing that I actually was fortunate to be part of was MIT has this program called GEMS program, which I think is a brilliant idea. So what they did was, um, they will select about 10 engineers through all of the MIT graduate programs. And we get to spend about a year and a half with the Harvard Medical School folks. So we take all their courses. We take anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, like almost like the doctors do dissections. Mm -hmm. And so you li really live in their shoes. And we even get to sit in the clinics. So doing that, I, I had a pretty good sense that, you know, this was the field I want to apply my engineering skills into. And Bob's lab was is probably one of the most uh, kind of, you know, lab working at the frontiers of medicine, but still being an engineer. So uh, what we do is, and, and, you know, we can talk details about this, that uh, when you have a problem, you can you can think it as an engineer or you could think it like a doctor, be like, how do I apply this so that it goes to the patients? Uh, we call that translational medicine. And I think he is, he almost invented the area of translational medicine. So whenever we create a new compound, we think about, how, how, what's the toxicity in, in people? Uh, how much dosage do you have to think about to get in? How do, will a surgeon implant these things, right? So these questions are always at the forefront rather than mm. the back end of our product. So I think, I think that's why I, I love the lab and you know, I decided I should, I should come here for my postdoc to get trained in this area. Wow, this is amazing. I mean, this is so insightful 
and the immediate question just pops up for me is moving from engineering to medicine uh and you said that as part of the experience in the gems program uh you were fortunate to get into you know harvard medical school spend one and a half years that tell me a little bit about your experience you know being as an engineer a trained engineer uh and then moving to medicine how was that transition for you <laughs> it was fun i i think that you know um uh, it was actually you know uh, it was interesting it was not smooth at all because um i was uh, going it about all wrong so you know what happened interestingly that i even without the gems program i started getting interested in biology so uh, the first course i took was immunology in my grad school second year and that was a disaster well, like i i you know i studied the immunology but then this questions were on genetics and you know and biochemistry which i had no idea about so i was like getting a b in these courses while i was getting a plus in all my engineering courses and i'm like oh shit like you know i need to i need to study uh biochemistry then next semester i took biochemistry then next semester i took like genetics so i almost studied these courses backward as a biology grad student would do forward right they'll mm. study the easy ones and get the tough ones so but you know i th- i think that just keeps it fun you know i i think the reason at least i and i know many of my friends are in research is because you get to learn every day it's challenging uh, i hate to work in a field where i don't know anything more you know uh, where mm. my knowledge is almost a limit and i think that this was a new frontier it was challenging to know more um so it was it was a front fun journey um the interesting thing about you brought about medicine was um you know i i i think that if if somebody is there's two things that's necessary right you need to have fun you can't just study it because you need to do it because it's very tough you have to spend a lot of time on it uh but more importantly i think you know if you start seeing similarities of how we how the body is actually a big machine and in medicine there are all these common principles that we engineers use like you know if you can you can imagine the heart being a pump and if you start seeing through those lenses you you actually make everything make sense like why do we have a high blood pressure what happens when you have a high blood pressure why does your heart starts having a high load right mm. so there are a lot of common principles because you know at the end of the day you know the rules of physics that's govern the universe is governing everything else biology is just more complex there's more cogs to the machine than than like simple systems but but ultimately they'll all follow the same rules so when you do deduce that to the fundamental principles i think i think it's pretty exciting to kind of you know know that you can this is how the whole thing is working mm so what i hear from you is uh you think like an engineer and obviously consider body as a this complex machine and i think uh, the example of heart was is really one was one really wonderful um a meta question around it would for you would be for me how so as you mentioned body as a machine and a, as a complex system uh do you see that understanding a complex system like a human body can we take the same ideas as we understand any other complex system from an engineering point of view would that scale well for a complex system like body or human being or we need to take a totally different approach um to to comprehend the complexity of the system so you know uh, that that's what i think we are still learning right now in in you know, our endear for science because what what has happened is you know medicine and biology was very 
you know, was more like an art in 1980s and stuff. And mm -hmm. as you have more of basic scientists get into the field, biology had a revolution. You know, we do more of molecular genetics. Everything is, we are understanding the mechanisms of things. And so there's been a shift in medicine as well. I think there's a lot of stress on understanding mechanism of how things work. Like, just to give you an example, like, aspirin when it was discovered and, and approved by fda nobody now still knows how aspirin works it's still a mystery right we know it works we know it works for different reasons so there was 80s and 90s drugs would be cleared by you do a large clinical trials so the doctors have a sense this works some some way and they'll give it still partly like that largely like you know a lot of drugs people still go by kind of you know symptomatic treatments uh, if you if you follow the case for covid 19 many of the drugs that were given we don't know how the how like you know hydroxy um, chloroquine I think yeah um, we don't know how it works there are there are in vitro studies to show something of that order but but doctors were like oh we see some effect let's just give do a clinical trial but recently I think there has been a shift in thinking that any new drug that is being made there's a strong need for you to show a mechanism why how is this drug affecting what it is affecting uh, what are the side effects of that so you could manage side effects and so. I think in next five to ten years there'll be a shift, definitely in 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 understanding these complex uh, this this the body as a whole. Uh, there is, and you know I I can this is a whole rabbit hole. I think there is uh, in general a bigger push to completely understand every molecular mechanism that is undergoing in the system. So previously you can imagine there was this human genome atlas, right? Mm. People sequence the whole genome and they thought, okay, well got it. We can sequence the genome, we'll know everything else. And then they realize, so oh, that's not true. So recently, I think there is a big uh, push for uh, mapping the brain. Uh, but more importantly, now we have tools that we could understand genomic differences um, in individual cells. And so there is a new push by NIH in the US, at least, on called the Human Cell Atlas. So people are sequencing every individual cells in the body and creating a whole atlas. So you can imagine that if you have a disease and you find some mutations, you can look at that atlas and you know what cell, where, how, and stuff. And mm. and that is already kind of showing some benefits because when initially it was discovered that the COVID-19 will bind to the ACE2 receptors, you could just go back to the atlas and you know all types of cells in your body mm. that would present those those receptors, right? Um, so um, so I, th I think it's changing. And, you know, to answer your question that both... Um, clinicians and basic scientists and engineers as such are going to converge to a point eventually in the future where I don't see these barriers remaining. You know, I think that these right now when we think about, oh, a mechanical engineer or a chemical engineer or a biologist and stuff, of course, you have your basic because because the knowledge has really exploded. You can't just get into all into one. But but I think the approaches, the thinking process, Everything's going to be very quantitative in the future. I think that that's kind of my my sense of the field. Mm. I really like how you brought all of this together. And I think uh, this understanding that, yes, we have different domains and disciplines coming together to understand this. Uh, what I hear and I take it a point away from your 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 side is potentially in the future, this all will blend together. There will be this more... Uh, reduction of you know uh, barriers between these disciplines. I think this is also very fascinating, and that brings one question to my mind. Uh, as you were talking about, is how was your experience? Uh, you know, transitioning obviously uh, trained trained as an engineer and moving to medical and understanding medicine. 
what did you find different in terms of thinking like a person who understands biology who understands medicine versus someone who is uh, in an engineer do you see any specific differences in terms of how we ad- how each of this thinking addresses a particular problem yeah you know i i don't want to generalize this and and kind of in a stereotype people but i'll i'll tell you my experience from the people i've seen around me um one of the thing that frustrated me as you know when i was in pure engineering department was um i think that people understand in pure engineering departments like mechanical or chemical the problems in the non living systems right machines mm-hmm. uh, stuff because they're simple when when they and then there's a lot of people working in biology actually right you know in us outside the us everywhere and there was an estimate that about more than 60% of of researchers at mit at this time are doing something with the life sciences or other just to show you everybody wants to do work in biology mm-hmm. the issue is you know when um you kind of don't understand what is an important problem versus what is not and so i see a lot of tool development without necessarily a problem being present right so mm. you know you you're making a lot of hammers without nail and that's kind of a common problem i think it's it's kind of persistent because you know if the right now the funding model is you just publish and you get more money it's not necessarily saying that can we have a patent can we have a company let's see where it's being applied or not so so people keep doing this um uh, but you know what I, there are only very few places and I, that's why i love working in langa lab and i think something i want to do in my career as well is to be um kind of actually know the main problems in medicine and right now sadly like the doctors know it because they work with work with patients um there are also certain nuances when you work with people versus when you have a you know inanimate object because you can't do everything to them like mm. say you have a device and you 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 could in principle put it uh, put it under the skin or you could make a big surgery and put it in the in the abdominal space people don't want they thing to be done in an abdominal space although it would make all sense you know it's their choice so medicine is not only governed by pure science but also governed by human choices and i think that is something that the doctors understand and and kind of appreciate and i think working with them is a critical step for that you would take your technology ultimately to the patients mm. um so i i think that was my sense and you know it was a just a funny segue story on this so after i finished my i was when i was doing the gems program i i got into contact with so many doctors and i love actually i i really have a lot of respect for the doctors because actually they are in the field making the difference and i was like you know what screw this engineering i want to be a doctor like you know i just want to do an md degree after my phd mm-hmm. terrible decision my mom was very upset but anyway so i was like already to apply to med school so i had like great mentors through the gems program they were very big shots in hms harvard medical school system so i talked to them and i was like david so Uh, this guy david sloan who is a who is an onco immunologist and i was like david so i'm deciding to apply what is your advice on this and I, he was like look saman you know i think you'll do very well if you apply you'll definitely get in but my sense is that you know you should probably stay in academia sorry stay in stay an engineer and treat mice and i was like mm-hmm. why he's like if you treat people you're going to get sued left and right <laughs> i'm like why why is that the case <laughs> he's and he he got a very important point because he saw me in the clinics with him right 
And when I see, and what my interest in medicine was that I'll see a patient and to me, he or she is a problem, right? There is a disease and the disease is a problem and I need to treat the problem. So I completely do not, I completely ignored the human factor. I was like, why is she not taking this drug? This drug will work. And she's like, oh, I have like, you know, diarrhea, blah, blah. I don't want this drug. Let me do this. And the doctors have to accommodate that. You, you just cannot. And I was like frustrated. I was like, just like, you know, put her in a hospital, give her the drug, treat her well, make her well. And we'll release her. So I think that that was a, that was the thing that he kind of observed. And, you know, I, I kind of got a sense of that, too, that, you know, being a doctor, it's not just you apply the knowledge, but you also a big, big, big factor is patient care. And that's mm. something I don't think we can replace very easily. Um, but, you know, that's why you need to work around that as an engineer. Wow. I mean, thank you so much for sharing this. This is so insightful. I, I, I made a note of it, this whole point about ignoring the human factor. Um, I have several questions in that set, uh, but I want, to, I want to, you know, pin it on the side, but I want to come back to something which you mentioned uh, right at the beginning when we said, how, how was the transition for you? So I will definitely come to this part around, you know, future of medicine and uh, uh, essentially the role of uh, patient care as you see, you know, developing, but, I, but I'm going to pin it for the moment. Um, you mentioned something very interesting. You said that, you know, you, you were interested in immunology and you started obviously not doing well. And you said, oh, for that, you need to understand biochemistry. So essentially, you know, you, you started looking things from backwards. So if you want to understand this, I need this. And you go slice back in, in back in time compared to probably someone who is studying medicine from the scratch. So you're building on fundamentals and growing up. How was that process for you about studying things in backwards? So figuring out <laughs> this is what you need <laughs> to understand this. How was that process for you? Um, not ideal. Uh, but also, I think it is exciting because, you know, I think that, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I feel like if somebody gave a course, coursework to me, look, look, to me, why biology or immunology kind of, you know, attracted is because there are these exquisite machines that nature builds that are so fascinating, right? Like, even if you think about simple thing as a DNA replication, there are so many steps, your mind will just spin around it, like how the proteins work. So I was attracted to that. But, you know, where the more um, simpler courses, like just biology 101 or, or biochemistry, there's a lot of, you know, and, uh, people will get angry at this. There's a lot of junk. I, I hate that. It's just like, it's like you know, when in, in engineering, we would just solve like uh, fluid mechanics or in computer science, you write hello world 20 times, right? Mm. So I, I, I hated those. And so I think that it was fun because I entered the field from a more complex point of view. I always got entertained and excited at the same time. It was tough, but it was exciting. And then as I kind of, you know, went through my courses, my coursework became easier and kind of a little more boring. So it was fine. I think I, I don't think that I necessarily lost anything you know i think it was fine because if i did the reverse maybe i studied just the more boring parts of biology i would have given up i would have been like <laughs> ah, this this is just not like this is too much of information i don't need like all of the curb cycle and the nad cycle and stuff so um i i think it this was uh, okay as an engineer who was just doing it for fun rather than for my coursework yeah mm. but i want to actually go one layer down. I mean, for me, this is super interesting. And I'm trying to connect to what you're saying to essentially how people today are being educated, especially those who are, 
trying to find alternate means to picking up information and, and, and new understanding. For example, someone who has never been trained on computer science or engineering trying to go over YouTube and trying to grab uh, open courseware from different universities is, and you know, trying to understand it. So let's let me just take a backtrack to this. So one is you mentioned topic about being fun. So you're having fun exploring something. So you found something that you need to know, but you know, okay, for that, you need something else. And you go to that. And then you go to potentially the source of that information. And thereafter, do you think this process, re and I think considering that you did mention that if you had started with biology one-on-one, -on -one, you might be getting bored. How does that uh, help you to potentially think about future of learning things. So if you have someone who is interested to learn something, would you advise them to follow a similar process instead of starting with a one-on-one -on -one course, you know, writing hello worlds and then building up? What would be your take in the in based upon your experience in this? <laughs> that you know, I, honestly, I haven't given a very deep thought about it, so it's just very superficial thinking. Sure. Um I I think it depends on how what you are going to use the knowledge for i i feel like look if if this was my engineering course i say i have a clean state i don't know much of science okay and this was a basic fundamental thing that i'm going to do regularly on i would suggest go the traditional route right because you need your fundamentals very strong yeah but if it's something you want to increase your knowledge in i think it's okay to be um get to the outs you know, you, you could do from an outside to inside kind of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because because then you know kind of the thick layer of knowledge and you could pick mm -hmm. and choose how much of fundamentals you need. So it worked for me because I'm still going to be using my engineering principles every day when I design my, my drugs or whatever systems I'm using this. What immunology or anatomy give me was to identify important problems. And it is then up to my interest to go deeper and deeper and learn more and why, why, why this thing's happening. But mm. I can stop at any point. I still got my information. So that's why it worked. But if I was going to be a biochemist and I have a lot of project in biochemistry, I should have rather go the other way around. Um, I don't know. Does it make sense? Of, of I, I think Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. So I think what you mentioned about why do you need this knowledge right uh, yeah are you are you in are you interested to apply this information for something specific so i i like that as a as a kind of a uh, a starting principle essentially oh let me start from outside and then i go from outside to inside um and i think what you have is still the foundation of your engineering education which you always use the principles and techniques that you can always use and lean on because you right. still have something on as your primary understanding of systems built from ground up, built from the fundamentals. So I think it's just very interesting. And I obviously, I agree with what you're saying. And we can probably explore uh, this further uh, in this in this conversation. But yeah, I mean, this, this podcast is again also about you, your journey. So what I'm <laughs> trying to obviously get to is... Um, through these experiences of, you know, uh, uh, moving from a, a city like Calcutta to the U.S., studying mm -hmm. uh, and then trying to move to move your understanding, move your field to medicine and biology. Um, how do you see 
the the type of challenges that you were facing being as an academic pursuing his doctorate in engineering sciences and then moving to this new field of drug delivery how has been the transition on the on personal challenges that you faced between what you used to do and now what you do in your lab um you know it, it's it's interesting question i i think there is both positives and negatives so um so let me you know the typical i i think that one of the, you know what we need is more people who are interdisciplinary and there is a big focus in us and at least in the top institutions in us to do uh, to work at interface of disciplines it could be chemistry and medicine right you could be uh, physics and medicine and, and medicine needs more people from outside like basic scientists to come in and do this work so that's that's very appreciated the problem that that I have faced I think I have still I think the the you, you know, community sorting out is um, making a career path for these people like for example um, there are still you know say I'm, I was a mechanical engineer if I would have done a fluid mechanics path uh, I would have graduated with a few paper I would have not have to do a postdoc or did like a one-year postdoc and got into a department as an assistant faculty right away, right, mm. with a few papers. Now, when you're doing biology or anything of that sort, now your path is different. You want to do a longer postdoc. You're going to get funding, you know, and stuff like that, and then apply back. And now when you apply back, you are always questioned by this traditional engineering people that, oh, well, you had a longer postdoc. Why did you do that? Um would you have all the resources that we can give you in the department, right? Maybe not. Uh, what kind of graduate students will do? What if they don't like the medicine in the field? So I think there is, there is this, this, all of engineering departments are going through this um, kind of transition phase right now. I think there is an old guard which doesn't like new thinking. They want, they, they would judge you on that. Oh, you, you have done this so long. Could you teach fluid mechanics for us? Mm -hmm. Who's going to teach fluid mechanics for us, right? Um, and there are new people and new dimensions in research coming up, which I think they are not keeping up. I think the top institutions like MIT Stanford's are good at that, but a lot of like, you know, rest of the institutions are not, and I think they're very traditionalist, and so I think it's difficult to find a fit um, in the departments, right? Uh, and, and that's a big problem for a lot of people who are doing interfacial science because, uh, because you know, when do you fit? You're not a pure medicine. You're not a pure engineering and stuff. And some some schools have done very well, uh, honestly, in that regard. So I, you know, I can't complain, but I see the field changing, but it's it's pretty slow. So I think that that is that is one um, one area that that I think is different. The other thing, you know, it's uh, and I think I think it also needs to happen is when you do and there's a new concept in the U.S. as we call it convergence science, where you want to bring people from other disciplines like physics and chemistry and and other exclusively for the purpose of solving problems in medicine and uh, and not just you know it's my pastime and I have five projects in in chemistry but one project in medicine that doesn't happen you need to immerse yourself so there's a whole idea of this convergent science and the other issue of anything which you're doing convergent is to, to bring people of different expertise under one roof so that they can communicate like I need to talk to an MD many times or like you know some suppose the project that we are developing on diabetes and we can talk about this well, the good thing was there was a surgeon on the team so we know from early on that how the surgeries will grow what's the best design and stuff like that if that wasn't the case then we would have made something that would be completely invisible to put in the body so 
not all places have these resources. So, you know, if you're in a place that doesn't have a medical school, you might be just struggling to find a collaborator on, medic on, on what you're trying to build. So the ecosystem you're in is very important to create this kind of work that, that, that we do. So I think that that's kind of my, you know, two takes. And things are changing. Things are definitely changing a lot uh, faster these days. Mm. And uh, Suman, from your knowledge, from your understanding, uh, was there a particular moment uh, where medicine started attracting different disciplines uh, to itself? Because my understanding would be, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected, is traditionally it has been a very kind of clearly siloed away from the rest of the disciplines, like especially mechanical and other engineering sciences. Do you see from your understanding and from your education uh, a set of these moments in time where you saw where you saw that, okay, that basically led to, you know, other disciplines coming into medical uh, and especially medicine? Yeah, you know, I, I think that I, and I, I don't know a lot about the history of medicine, honestly. I think it's I'm going to be out of my waters to kind of talk about this. But my sense, and it, it might be completely wrong, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Um, it's been that um, it has always had people from outside come in. For example, if you think about, you know, orthopedics, um, you know, things about people who design wheelchairs and stuff, there has been always been an interface with engineers, right? Doctors haven't been doing these things. Um, but, you know, slowly things have changed and there's been more um, engineers coming into almost all field of medicines in the last, I would say, 20 years. And if I look at the history of US, um, you know, for example, MIT set up its department called HST, which was Health Science and Technology 20, 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And uh, and their whole sense was, you know, there's there a whole program called medical science, medical physics, where especially the whole sense was imaging, for example, you know, MRIs and stuff. You need physicists to build them so that they can be applied. Um, in Boston, Boston Children's and, you know, Mass General Hospitals, they had a very strong engineering program, or at least people in imaging sciences, um, uh, you know, engineers were coming in for a long time in medicine. In terms of actual drug delivery, I think the tipping points were two things, you know, specifically started with a lot of work by Robert Langer and a few handful of people in U.S., honestly, um, would be in 80s. 80s and 90s, where uh, you started adopting, because, you know, previously, and this is a story I think, you know, uh, my boss, like Bob Langer always tells all the time that, you know, if you, when he became a postdoc, it was very uncommon to do work in medicine as a chemical engineer. And what he kind of found out, he worked with a great person called Judah Folkman in, in BC, Boston Children's Hospital. And this guy was a doctor, but he was trying to bring in engineers to solve the problem of, uh, of cancer, you know, slow release molecules to prevent the cancer from spreading blood vessels. And um, what he kind of, you know, saw was the doctors would use all sort of polymers. For example, when you do a, when you have a, a heart problem, they'll use like a, a lady's girdle or something like that, you know, uh, <laughs> stress it out and use, use it as a polymer to kind of prevent the heart. So there was no innovation on materials adapted for the purpose. They will adapt the material. They will just take a material and put and the best material they have and then put it on an organ. But they were not creating new materials suited for it. So then he was like, could we design polymers and, and things that are specific for these things? And that was his whole career since then. So I think he has pioneered and then many other people have pioneered. So now 
as the drug company speaks these things up, right, there is more entryway for us as in kind of, you know, new generation engineers to kind of be appreciated and be like, okay, these guys can make a big difference. And, um, and, and kind of, you know, there's, I think the path is more smoother now. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Suman, for sharing that. Suman, uh, considering uh, we now have probably a very high-level view of what you do uh, mm-hmm. in this lab, what is your day like? How does a day look like, in, in a typical day look like, if you have a typical day uh, working <laughs> in this lab? Well, that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I don't know if I should tell that. <laughs> so I have a very random schedule. Uh, I think it's a... It depends, and I think COVID has kind of also um, being a little bit interesting with with these shifts and stuff that work. Uh, I try to come in the afternoon. I'm not a morning person by any means, unless there's a grant. I have not slept that night. Uh, try to come in the afternoon, and you know, previously or even now, I'll spend most of the time like catching up on meetings, hanging out with friends, having coffee. So it's almost like. The evening social activities I'll do in the early days. And then when people leave by six or seven is when I actually get to work. Um, I think nowadays it's more of uh, other administrative work, sadly, rather than actually bench work. I have people working for me. Like we have two graduate students and a a technician who kind of does a lot of the work, but kind of just managing them. But also um, if it's an important experiment, I'll do it. But a lot of grant writing and, and kind of, you know, keeping tracks of other things and um, planning new experiments, uh, planning and just reviewing data, those, those kind of stuff. So I try to work more in the evening and the night. Um, I think it's just less disturbing, you know, less disturbance, less emails to reply to, uh, less firefighting, let's put it this way. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my, my schedule. And then I'll try to stay till like maybe... Um, midnight or one then come home and have a small snack or something and then like work till like two or three and then go to bed so uh not a great life but uh, <laughs> but that works that works for now so mm. uh thank you so much suman for for sharing that as well uh suman how has this and i mean focusing more on this transition because i think the whole transition from your engineering sciences to medical is so interesting and so so inspiring uh, how it has changed you as a person? Like, do you do you have now a different way of thinking, a different mental models on how you approach problems? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, I don't know if I've, if it has changed me as a person. I think you know, and I also don't know if it's just like more of maturing as you're getting older, right? Mm. Um, I think there's two things that um, I have learned through my career. One is not get emotionally attached to your technology. Um, you know, you're trying to solve a problem, not be married to one one idea and one technology. So that's that's important because, you know, you, you need to evaluate with a clear head if something is going to work or not. So, um, so that's very important. Um, the other thing is to um, is to kind of start getting some of these thinking like like the doctors like you know if you make something up just do very early di- kind of you know planning on the in the life cycle of the project be is it something that is going to be clinically translatable is it something we can take beyond just a publication and I think I, I try to apply to this filter it doesn't always possible because there are projects that are very early to predict what will happen with them but um, but I think that that has kind of guided my project that I've been interested in, that if something is, seems like very gimmicky and it's not going to work in, um, I don't try to do that. I also very strongly believe that um, 
you shouldn't, you, the simplest systems work. If, you know, there is a tendency for a lot of people to over-engineer systems, right? They're very complex things, nine parts. And all of a sudden, there's nine parts and each have a probability of failing like 10%, you're going to have 90% failure rates, right? So mm. uh, it's, it's not going to work. So I think that that's, that's very important that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you, you kind of understand that, you know, you, if you, if it's hard for you to make it, it's almost going to be impossible for some other doctor to actually put it in a patient. So uh, we want to be, we want to have as little engineering as possible. The simplest, sim- simplest design usually wins. Um, and something has to be robust and durable that we want to advance in our lab. Mm. So, Suman, if uh, someone who is listening to this podcast, um, perhaps uh, an engineering student, and they wanted to also get excited and they're getting excited but from your from your experiences and your journey and would like to get into uh medicine and also just you know be as an engineer try to solve problems in medicine what what would you advise them like where should they start what should you do and what experiences would that you would like them to have you know I, i i think a lot of this is um and as i said i think there is you know if if you're in the us you probably already have a path forward from your university there would be either a connection with a medical school or or something else and so try to work on a project with the medical school try to find a lab that does a work with a medical school so that'll be a normal thing you know outside the us i think it's it's tricky right because uh, and that's one of my qualms about the system in india where there's a lot of great opportunity for research um because you know the problems are very unique but i don't think that the medical community does really research i mean it's pretty it's pretty let's just get get patients in and out kind of a system right i i just don't know maybe maybe this is my ignorance but this is not my feeling is so i don't know how somebody in india would would kind of deal with this i i think there are there are new there are at least a few professors in iit that i know who are doing really cutting edge medical research so i would say go work with them uh but in us it's just be cognizant if there are opportunities around if there are internships you can get in a hospital do those things and sometimes you just need to make a hard shift you know in your career if you really are interested in medicine you have done the ground work um then you identify a lab that you're interested in just just don't be afraid to make that jump you'll be fine i mean that's what my my suggestion is most of the time we are afraid because you know we don't want to be out of our box out of our knowledge zone um but you know if you if you don't make that leap of faith you're never going to learn something new mm, absolutely absolutely so now i'm going to take back the pin which i left it on the floor uh, about <laughs> um the topic that we spoke about um around questions for you especially how do you see the future of patient care and to give you a context you mentioned about how you saw it on the ground that you know hey this particular patient if he can just give the, the medicine it could solve the problem but obviously the patient may have reservations may have emotions and doctor is not just fixing a problem but they also taking this holistic care of the patient how do you see in the age of uh, modern medicine the patient care would evolve how do you for, how do you see this hap- potentially moving in the future 
I mean, um, you mean how would it change, right? Like, okay, I mean, I I don't have a clear vision of that. I think that it's, um, I, w I can tell you that how medicine will change. I think medicine is becoming more of engineering the body than giving external factors into your body, right? I think there is very newer therapies where we can either put cells that will, um, you know, produce all the drugs you need in your body, or, you know, we could call it cell replacement therapy, protein replacement therapy. Um, there is genome editing, which would be obviously revolutionary if that works in people. Eventually, they will work in people. Um, so there's a push for that, you know, correct what is what is wrong. And I think we can, we can treat a lot of diseases based on that. Um, you know, then, then, then there's two sides, right? There's what's available to treat and how do you treat. I'm talking about the first part, which is what's available to treat. So I think, th I think those drugs will change. Like right now, there's a lot of drugs which are, we don't know, right, how do they work. And I think those will change. The drugs that we know will work more. And there's a whole uh, field of personalized medicine. And that was a big dream. And I just don't know if, if that has taken hold very well. Uh, but I think that will, you know, at least in cancer, there is some sense of it because now you grade it. Um, many cancers like leukemia have very clear mutational patterns. So the doctors will sequence them and they'll be like, no, you are which pattern and which kind of drugs you'll respond to. Um, solid tumors, not so much. So, so some fields are definitely making a difference, right? We are, we are trying to quantify disease states. And if you can quantify disease states, you classify people better. You just don't tell that they have a cancer. You can tell what kind of cancer, what are the mutations, because some lung cancer might look like uh, pancreatic cancer with the same kind of mutations, right, or something something similar. So you need to treat them like that, not just as a lung cancer. So there's a sense of that, and I think it's going to change in that sense. Um, in terms of patient care, um, I, I think that I, 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 mean, I have not a clear sense of how this is going to change. You know, there's a huge disparity. That's why I'm, I'm a little bit unclear. If you think about the first world, I think you already get extremely good patient care. There is the doctor to patient ratio is, is very good and stuff. Um, if, you, if you look at the other parts of the world, it's horrible. It's just, I think, you know, it's a, patients are almost like a number. They come in and they get a bunch of, bunch of medicines and go out. Um, and so I, 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 it's hard to predict how everything will move forward, right? Um, I do see a lot of applications of AI into this field of medicine. There's a tremendous opportunity for that, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a, um, a lot of the medicine, honestly, is on, even before diagnosis, is to kind of just assess from what the, what the patient is saying, you fit a couple of bills and you said this is your medicine, right? So those kind of simple correlations, I think you could you could kind of pass on to the to the AI to do, and then the doctor has to spend less time on trying to look at that. Um, but you know, it's 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 a perplexing question. That's why I'm kind of punting on giving an answer because I don't know. You know, medicine is so much connected to social inequality, economic inequality, that I just don't see the whole field moving at the same time. There's, there's going to be a huge spectrum. There are going to be people who will be treated like they're in heaven. You know, they'll go in and they'll get all sort of advanced therapies and come out completely fine and not age and stuff. And there'll be people who will be still struggling for like basic infectious disease. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild. You know, we need, to, we need to think about, I think, you know, social equity also in medicine in some sense.
I don't know if that was an answer you were seeking for, but I know I, I it was just like being very impromptu with, uh, with with my thought process there. No, it's it's perfectly okay. I mean, uh, obviously we are we're not here. I, I don't want to hear like from you something that you had in mind already, but I'm just trying to see what comes to your mind first when you yeah, hear a question yeah. like this, it's, right? No, it's it's that's uh, you know just to when you think about how medicine is advancing, there are two kind of things, right? There is very advanced medicine that we talk about, like CRISPR-Cas9 engineering, you know, think about these things will not going to be available to an average person in, in a third world country because it's just going to be super expensive. Even I think it will not be available to a big population of the United States. Um, so, you know, we, yes, we are making this because this is great and some people will benefit, but how much can we benefit? So I think we also have to think about when we create therapies, um, is it is it going to you know how can you maximize the impact of it so you know for example very common thing you know immunotherapy right which has revolutionized cancer you you modify cells your immune cells to fight against it right now you have you take out cells from a patient you modify this with the virus vector and then you put them back in the body now that means that you cannot have two people mix their samples you can transfer all sort of things into them um, by regulation, you need to have completely different establishments to treat one patient versus the other. So it's, a, it's an extremely expensive operation. And that's why it's very expensive to do it. Even in here, I, I don't know the cost, but, you know, it, it can go into millions to kind of even deal with that. Um, I know somebody in India who did that. Very, very, very expensive. But they were, they were already very rich people in India who did this. You can't imagine a normal person, um, you know, who doesn't have insurance to even cover the cost of that. So could you think about ways that you don't need to engineer the cell outside the body, but you can engineer the cell inside the body? And I know a lot of people are working on that area. So you can inject some sort of a nanoparticle that goes in your body and affect your immune cells to express those receptors that, that you can engineer outside. And if you could do that, then it's going to be just one shot, like a one shot chemotherapy, right? And now you can think about, yes, I can, I can probably affect a million people affecting with this cancer, with this injection. Uh, it's more, more, more equitable. So, so I think, you know, as engineers, we also need to think about that aspect of medicine. You know, the less engineered, the less challenging implementation and deployment, the more people in the world you can impact with. Thank you, Suman. This was really, really informative. I really appreciate you being candid and also open to, you know, address ad hoc questions that I come to with, come to you with. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. We are almost at the rear end of our conversation. I wanted to see if you have, um, like, any recommendations for our listeners, especially on resources like books or blogs or podcasts or anything that you use to... Um, to get inspiration, to learn something new. It may be completely out of the domain that you work with. It could be in general. Is there a specific book or resource that you really recommend people? You you tell them to just go through it, irrespective of the work that you do. Um, <laughs> I, I am not a voracious reader, honestly. I, I hate reading my textbooks as well. I like lectures and things more. So I do, I, you know, I, I have always listened to a lot of these, um, interviews by Nobel laureates and you know uh, other people and just see their struggle and if you see the struggle you will actually understand that in science it is not how smart you are it is how persistent you are about a problem right you could be the, the stupidest person in your class the last in your class and um, 
be very persistent in your quest and you will get there. So that's kind of the common kind of, you know, knowledge in the field. So I would, I would say that. And then the other thing, you know, I, I don't really have a book and resource I followed. I just followed what, what I had fun doing. And I was like, you know, if life is worth leave, uh, living, it has to be that you need to be fun at what you're doing. Um, uh, and I have always followed that kind of, you know, guiding principle be the next stage of whatever I've picked up in my life. And so I think that kind of have worked out. I've been having fun so far. So we'll see how long this, uh, you know, jolly ride lasts, but we'll see. Um, so I think that's my thing, you know, don't be afraid, um, to take a chance, especially when you're young, you know, I think you, you, you can, you can have security and stability later in life, but you know, in your thirties and twenties, you should take chances. Um, and, and listen to what makes fun. I, I don't think that we do the best when you're not having fun with something, you know, and, and if you're having fun, even if it's hardest at the beginning, things will get easy later on. Um, and I, I do listen to a lot of these people who are Nobel laureates and, and stuff and just see people struggle. I think, I think, you know, a lot of people tell nice, nice stories that I was successful in the beginning and stuff. And I, and that is not what I've seen. I've seen mm. most of the people struggle a lot in the beginning and I think it has all worked out at the end. So. Yes, it is. And if it doesn't, it's still you had fun, right? So you don't lose so much. <laughs> so so that has been my kind of, you know, um, take on it. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Suman. Uh, this conversation is so stimulating for me. And I, I already had like a bunch of notes that I want to follow up with you. Maybe at a, you know, at a separate time, we can go deeper into that. Um, sure. What is potentially a right channel for for our listeners to reach out to you if they have some questions, if they are curious about something. Oh yeah. Just email me. I think, you know, if you can Vivek, just share the email, it's, um, Suman Bose eight five, you know, you, I think, or you can find me on the internet as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you can just happy to answer any questions, reach out to me through email. That's the best way. Um, and you know, um, I'll be happy to help you guys in whatever way I can. Perfect. Thank you so much, Suman. I, I am so happy that we got a chance to talk to you. You know, I personally connected with you last week after like almost 20 years. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, I was able to finally also get you on the podcast. I'm so happy with that. And I'm also looking forward, uh, you know, uh, cheering for you and uh, being in awe with what you do with the work that you're doing in your lab. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, it's a pleasure, Vivek, and, you know, let's just keep in touch. I'm sure you should come visit Boston sometime, and I can show you our lab. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward right. for that as soon this whole lockdown situation is, yes. is in past. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Suman, and uh, really appreciate your conversation today, and I look forward to having you the next time. Great. Thanks, Vivek. Please subscribe to the podcast in your shoes on the podcast channel including apple podcast spotify overcast pocketcast and others to know more please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com